you have your Bibles, I invite you to take them out and turn to the Gospel of Luke this morning. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, and our passage is going to be uh, chapter 19, verses 41 through 44. Uh, this, this Sunday is traditionally called Palm Sunday, uh, and it's the introduction to, in the broader church, what is uh, referred to as Holy Week, of course. Uh, this is the week of the Passion of Christ where we see his, uh, his emotions and we see his, his desire and also his work for his people, maybe in its, in its starkest relief. Uh, so I want to read this for us. Again, this is Luke chapter 19, verses 41 through 44. And this is God's good and kind and gracious word to us this morning. And when he drew near, and he saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you, because you did not know the time of your visitation. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray and ask for the Lord to help us to understand this word this morning. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for allowing us to hear from you in your word, that though we are separated from one another, we are never separated from you, and we have constant access to you in your revealed will in your word. Help us this morning to see the heart of Jesus Christ and his great love uh, for his people. Help us to heed the warnings that he gives and help us to flee to the cross of Jesus Christ for our safety and security. Help us to understand these things in your word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this week again is the week of the passion of Jesus Christ. There are two times in the scriptures we are told that Jesus wept. The first time is in the Gospel of John when his friend Lazarus had died. Jesus was surrounded by the mourning of his friends and he wept alongside of them even though he knew that he would raise Lazarus from the dead. In our passage this morning we see the second time that Jesus wept. Only it's not over the death of one of his friends. No, he cries over the spiritual condition of Israel during one of the most significant religious celebrations of their day, the Passover. Jesus is cut to the heart and expresses deep emotions. And in this passage, we not only see the Lord's humanity, but we also see the very heart of God in his full divinity. And I think we begin to better understand why Jesus came to live among us and hopefully more deeply understand the good news of Jesus Christ. Again, this is Palm Sunday. This episode takes place just after, or maybe even during, what is called the triumphal entry of Jesus. The day that, this is the day that Jesus is treated as the Messiah the true king of Israel, heir to David's throne. 
What's most striking to me is that while most all around him are crying out in exultation and celebration of Jesus, Jesus is literally crying in deep sadness. And this foreshadows for us what is going to happen on the Friday after this Sunday. His death on the cross at the hands of his enemies. Let's look at this passage in three ways this morning. I want to first see the king's sadness, then we'll see the king's siren, and then thirdly, the king's scrutiny. So first, we're going to see the king's sadness. The king's sadness. We're going from the mountaintop to the valley. And we need to understand that Jesus has been leading his disciples now for three full years. They've had many ups and downs in their ministry, but now all of that hard work and dedication is finally going to pay off. Up to this point, Jesus had refused most all forms of praise and adulation, and he usually ran away from the spotlight. But now, during this Passover celebration, Jesus was finally being recognized, and he's actually receiving the recognition for who he was, the true Messiah of God's people. It wasn't just the disciples praising Jesus as they had done in the past, but now the crowds, the people of Israel are calling out Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus silences the Pharisees because they were upset that the people were crying out that Jesus was the Messiah. And he claims his very divinity in silencing the, the, uh, the Pharisees. The Pharisees then had no response to Jesus and leave to go plot his death. Now, if you would have been one of the twelve disciples, your heart would have been racing at this point because you would have understood the magnitude of this moment. Jesus was about to take the throne of David in Jerusalem. And all of the disciples would have taken their place as rulers beside Jesus. So imagine experiencing all of that joy and all of the relief from the hard work that you've been doing only to look up at this moment as Jesus is riding in on that donkey to see him weeping. Now why was Jesus weeping? Why at this moment was Jesus struck to the heart? It was because the people celebrating him and the city that he was about to enter didn't really know who Jesus was. Sure, they called him the king, but they had really only gotten half of who Jesus was right. But half right is all wrong. They knew that Jesus was the king, but they had failed to know what kind of king he really was. They wanted a king that would make them rich, prosperous, and powerful. But he was not that sort of king. His kingdom rule was about another kind of wealth and a different kind of power. His kingdom, he said, was not of this world. It was and is a kingdom of righteousness. Years before this moment, the triumphal entry, Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be satisfied. The people had heard Jesus say these words over 
and over. Good preachers repeat themselves, after all. And they had missed it. So Jesus wept. And here is Jesus' judgment on the city of Jerusalem. And more broadly, on the people of Israel. He says this, You don't know the things that make for peace. This word peace is a common word in the Middle East. It's a greeting. It's a way to say goodbye. It's the word shalom. It means to be made whole and complete. To be settled and satisfied in every way imaginable. And here is Jesus telling these people who thought that they knew what shalom was, that they did not know the things that make for shalom. You see, true peace True completeness does not come in physical comfort, not for sinners like you and me. True peace is peace with God. At the end of World War I, there were peace treaties signed. Was peace accomplished? No, of course not. That was evident in just a few short years after the end of the war to end all wars. And what happened after World War I and all of those peace treaties? Well, of course, World War II, 20 or so years later. And then after World War II, what happened? More peace treaties were signed. Did that accomplish peace? Well, of course not. The world was then flung into decades and decades of the Cold War. And then after the Cold War, has there been peace in this world? Well, of course not. You see, in their arrogance, our leaders thought that they knew the things that would make for peace, but they didn't know. Well, do you know what makes for peace? True peace? Peace with God? I don't want you to arrogantly or too quickly answer that question. These Israelites, they looked in the face at the Prince of Peace, and they did not know the things that make for peace. And so we see, first of all, the king's sadness. His people did not know who he was. Secondly, we see the king's siren, his siren. What do you do whenever you hear a siren? About six times a day, maybe more, I haven't really counted, we hear loud sirens going by our house. Usually, they are warning sirens of an approaching ambulance. Every now and then we hear the little twerp of a police cruiser as they're trying to get someone's attention, usually to pull them over for some reason right in front of our house. Sometimes we hear the entire fleet of fire trucks and volunteer firefighters rushing to answer someone's call of distress. But regardless of the loudness of the siren or the duration of the siren, I always have the same reaction. I look to see what's happening. I'll walk to the edge of my fence and I'll peek my head over and see what is passing by. Because I know something's up. Sirens are made to get our attention. And when we hear them, we know that we need to pay attention. Well, here's what I want you to understand. In this passage, Jesus is ringing the loudest siren ever. And no one notices. No one pays attention. 
No one raises an eye or lifts a curious ear to see what all the commotion is about. Notice this. The man that is lauded as the king is weeping and sounding an alarm. And no one notices. No one cares. No one stops to ask Jesus for clarification. They ignore their king. So what is Jesus signaling? He's signaling the end of Jerusalem's greatness and its inevitable destruction. We know that destruction would take place years later, about 40 years later as a matter of fact, in 70 AD, as the Roman general Titus marched on Jerusalem. It was at the same time of year that Jesus entered Jerusalem during the Passover celebration. In 66 AD, the Jews had successfully revolted from under their Roman rule, and they had installed their own government. And they enjoyed, for about four years, a relative peace from, uh, and a relative freedom. But amazingly, while they were celebrating the Passover with perhaps as many as two million people in their city, Titus's army surrounded Jerusalem, laid siege works against it, and in very short order overthrew Jerusalem. The Jewish historian Josephus records that they killed as many as 1.1 million people in the city, men, women, and children. And eventually they turned their attention to the temple. They blew it to pieces. And what is most striking to me about this is not that it, not that it happened, but that they had been warned that it would happen. Unfortunately, they could not see it. They could not understand it. And Jesus says this, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. They had become spiritually blind to the point of not being able to see what was right in front of them. Jesus was entering into Jerusalem but not as a conquering king, like Titus did. He was entering as a suffering servant in the midst of the Passover celebration that pointed to the need for a suffering Savior. But their worship had become meaning, a meaningless religious rite with no spiritual significance. Jesus said that they had been prevented from seeing it. Why? Well, it's part of God's judgment. It's a terrifying thing to think that we can become so spiritually dull that God will actually remove any ability for us to see what is actually spiritually happening around us. But that was the re reality of God's people in His day, in Jesus' day. They couldn't even hear the siren as it went off. Have you heard the siren? Churches all over the world are shut down. We have not been able to gather for weeks. And when we do, when we are able to be back together, will it be for anything of any spiritual importance? Or will our worship be a meaningless religious rite with no spiritual significance whatsoever? These are the questions that have been haunting me over the last few weeks. I'm thankful for loved ones who can listen to my concerns 
and who will point me to the fact that on the flip side of God's judgment is God's mercy, so that even now, while we are experiencing a famine of fellowship, we are also seeing an explosion of gospel preaching go out over the internet. The question remains for me, what will our hearts really desire when this plague is over? Will we take notice of the siren? Or will we ignore it like the people in Christ they did? So we see, secondly, the king's siren. Thirdly, we see the king's scrutiny. When I worked in retail, the worst day was when the manager would get a, a letter in the mail from uh, the secret shopper. It was the secret shopper report. You see, what corporations will do is they will hire people to sneak into their stores under the guise of being just everyday normal shoppers. But here's the thing, they aren't everyday normal shoppers. They are there to inspect every last detail of the store as sneakily as possible. And then what do they do? They compile a report of their experience, of their experience and they send it to corporate. Corporate evaluates and reviews and they make their own report and they send it to the managers of the stores. Eventually, that report would make it to us at the store, and the manager would read the report in front of all the employees, and he would go down to the very smallest detail of how we measured up as employees. Once, when our manager was going over one of these reports, one of the employees said, I wish we knew when we were being inspected so that we could get it all right. But that's the point, isn't it? If you knew when you were being inspected, you would behave, wouldn't you? In verse 44, we read this. And they will not leave one stone on top of the other because you did not know the time of your visitation. That word visitation has a different meaning for us. We think about it like someone coming to visit us. But that's not what it means. What it should say, more than likely, is you didn't know the time of your inspection. God's people weren't ready. Jerusalem wasn't ready. But it wasn't because they had not been warned. They had been. Their preparedness had nothing to do with a lack of warning. The Old Testament was full of warnings. The problem was that they did not heed those warnings. In fact, God's people treated his prophets and the ones sounding the alarm with contempt, killing them for speaking the truth of God's word. But God's people refused to listen. But here's the thing. If you would have asked them about their readiness, they would have answered, oh, we're ready. And they would have pointed to all of their religious observance. But none of that mattered because their hearts were far from God. Where is your heart this morning? If Jesus' inspection, his second coming, were to take place today, would you be ready? Would your heart be ready for that scrutiny from the king? And you may be thinking, I have time. But friends, you need to wake up and feel, feel the hot breath of death on your neck. The time of your visitation is now.
it is today. In conclusion, I want to point you to the good news. The good news is this, that Jesus has come to give you what you lack. What do you lack this morning? You do not lack material prosperity. Even if you're not rich in the eyes of the world, that is not your greatest problem. Your greatest problem is that you do not have, or, or your greatest problem is not that you do not have the admiration of your peers, the respect or love of your spouse. No, your greatest problem is that you lack in and of yourself the things that make for peace. In order to have the peace of God, you have to have a righteousness, a holiness, without which we are told no one will see God. Where do you get that righteousness? The only way that you will be able to pass the inspection is if another one who is actually righteous stands in, in your place for you. And that is why Jesus came. Not just to be the inspector, but to be the one that substitutes himself in his righteousness for your lack of righteousness. The one who takes the penalty that your sins deserve on himself so that you do not have to face it. Jesus stands ready to welcome you into his kingdom to give you the very peace of God. It is yours. Take it through faith in Jesus Christ in his finished work this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us this word today. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you care for us. Father, I pray that you would help us uh, to, to know the things that make for peace, to make us ready for the day of our inspection. It could be at any moment. Help us, Father, to be ready for that day through faith in Jesus Christ. I have a righteousness that is not our own, our, an alien righteousness that can only come from you. Father, give us the peace that passes all understanding in and through your Son, Jesus Christ. And help us this week during the Holy Week. Well, indeed, every week is Holy Week to you. But help us during this week as we see friends and family and loved ones maybe turn an ear to who you are as our Lord and Savior. Help us to communicate that to others in word and in deed. We pray this in Christ's name.